right, good morning again. Those of you that might be just joining us online, glad that you're here. Maybe you're watching us at a later date, I don't know, but uh, glad that you're here. Um, I would be remiss to say, Mom, hi, happy birthday this last week. Um, I know she watches, so, you know, had to do that. Um, today we're going to be starting a new series. I'm excited about it. We are going to be covering the content from this book over the next three weeks. Um, and, and yes, of course, the Bible is the foundation, and I know all that, but we're going to be just talking about the content in this book. Um, and so... Um, when I read this book, it, I was thought it was about a year ago, but it was longer than that now. Uh, it was actually in 2019 that I found this book. Um, I, I had become uh, just a little bit familiar with this author after listening to a podcast, which is something that I regularly do. Uh, and so I got one of his older books, and when I saw that this book had come out, I was really interested in it. Uh, the title of the book is What You See on the Screen, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, if any of you wants a paperback copy of this, I have four of them, but one of them is spoken for, so I have three more left if you want uh, one of these. You can't have mine, though. Um, and so I loved his writing style. I loved the way he just, he's just, you know, you find a new author. Uh, and I had that experience maybe you've had before where you're reading a book or you're reading a new author, and you're like, man, this person is articulating things that I've kind of felt inside, but I didn't really, like, I wasn't able to, like, articulate and so that's what struck me about this book. Uh, and so um, th there's only a few other authors that I feel like have done that. One of them is Eugene Peterson. If you've ever read any of his work, he says things in a way that I think, man, I wish I could have said that. Uh, but then, you know, we wouldn't need him and we do need him. And so uh, and then ironically, one of the other ones, which was recommended to me by my father-in-law many, many years ago, uh, who ironically is connected to this author is Dallas Willard. And if you've never read any of his stuff, I would encourage you uh, start reading it, but be ready for some mind work because he, he can be a little difficult to read. And so um, th this is a book that really has had an impact on me. Uh, and so when I first read this book uh, in the quiet mornings of like 2020 early lockdown, right, which wasn't really lockdown, but you know, uh, 2020 um, COVID, I kept having this experience of he was saying something that I had been kind of feeling and thinking, but wasn't able to really say, and this is kind of like the, the distillation of that. I'm always, I, I finally noticed after reading, I'm always like in a hurry and it's kind of killing me. I, I noticed that even as your pastor in this room when we're together, like when we do these prayer times, as soon as it goes quiet in this room, my insides and my mind and heart are like, okay, how long, how long? Come on, we got to keep this service moving. We got to keep it. And what is that? That's this hurry. And we're, we're going to talk about this for the next few weeks. And so the question to ask, why would we want to do a sermon series on this? Like, why would we take time to focus on this particular book at this particular time? There's a couple of reasons. Um, during COVID-19, all of us had more downtime, right? In one way or another, some of us had a lot more than others, but some of us had a little bit more downtime, even if it was just because you couldn't go to the mall or you couldn't go to the movies or you couldn't go out to eat for a while. You had to figure out something else to do. Uh, and, and so there was just, for me, more quiet time. There was a little bit more time to be still. We tried to capitalize on some of that uh, with a few of the things we did during that time, which isn't it funny how like that feels like forever ago, but also not that long ago. It really wasn't that long ago, but it also feels like a different world and a different life. Um, and so what I'm noticing in my own life and in the lives of just all of us as we talk to one another is that we're starting to ramp back up the speed of things, right? We're starting to get like 
my life is just like right now, we, we had this conversation either yesterday or the day before, like we've got soccer and gymnastics and we've got this and we've got, you know, all these things coming up, not me doing gymnastics, guys. Um, but that's taking multiple weeknights, right? And starting to, you can feel that pace just picking back up to where life is lived at this sort of low hum of just constant like activity. And, and I'm starting to notice that in myself uh, especially now the, the holiday rush is coming back to full swing. Uh, we, I went to the mall for the first time and I can't remember how long the other day and like Santa's workshop was starting to be built and I got all like back into my American Christmas self, right? Like, ooh, I can't wait for shopping and parties and, and I can just feel that hurry starting to come, come back. Second, I, I also hopefully want to help you see what I saw when I first read this content. Uh, and that's just that this is the issue of our day that's, that's not named, but it's underneath a lot of the issues that we're dealing with. Uh, and maybe you, you might not be personally dealing with some of these, but I guarantee you everybody around you or a lot of people around you are. Uh, we, we view time like the goal is to fill every second with some kind of activity, right? Like I actually had a little bit of a joke with Teo a few weeks back. We had a birthday party. And uh, I said, Teo, is, you know, is it time to start? And, and he said, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, it's, it's this time and we haven't started yet. And I had just been to a training at district conference. And I remember I repeated to him a line that, that I heard, which was, uh, time, we, we don't run time. Time doesn't run us. We run time. And so there's just this different value. But that's not true in kind of American Western culture. Time runs us. We start at 1045, we end at this time, then we got to do this, then we go to this, right? And so this was another issue that I saw that, that we view time like the goal is, is kind of to fill every, acti- every second up with activity, and if not activity, then distraction. And, and we might not consciously think, oh, I want to distract myself, but so many of us and so many of the people around you are addicted to distraction. Here, I'll give you an example from my own life, right? I caught myself a few times this week doing this because I was mindful of it, but I'm sure it happens way more often. Uh, you know it's bad when your six-year-old says to you, hey, Dad, can you look up from your phone? I'm talking to you. Like, ugh, that's pretty rough, right? But this week, I was watching the World Series, and I kept, just without thinking about it, grabbing my phone and looking at email. Like, why am I doing that? I already read it like 18 times. How much can I refresh? I don't get that many emails. What is that? I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but if you've ever been without your phone, I know... Right? You ever been without your phone for any period of time and you get the phantom leg buzz? Anybody get that? Like, I don't have a phone in there. Why is it like alerting me? There's nothing in there. And so I caught myself doing that. Why? Why is this happening? It's happening because life is not just this neutral thing. You are being shaped, I am being shaped all the time by everything we take in. And the people that make things for us to watch and engage in are doing it on purpose to get your attention, which we're going to talk about is probably the most, the most valuable uh, thing that you have is your attention. And so it's forming us to be in a hurry to get the next thing, to get the next thing, and then the next thing. And part of that manifests itself in an addiction to distraction. Not even just distraction, but that we're addicted to being distracted by things. And so I've said this before, but I call this in my own life the let me just do this real quick disease, right? I've got something going on on my desk, but I'm like, ah, let me just do this real quick. And three hours are gone because I've done that like 18 times. 
reading my Bible on my phone. Let me just check my email real quick, which side note is why I would recommend don't read your Bible on your phone. Get a paper one because it can't notify you. Okay. Uh, working on something at work, in my cubicle, whatever it is. Oh, let me just look at the weather app real quick and check on the thing going on later so that I can be ready for that. Right? And I could go on and on and on. Part of why I want to do this series is for our own spiritual formation, and part of that is naming the problem. And for us, one of, if not the main problem, this is the argument of the book, that is working against us having a life of presence to Jesus, empowerment by His Spirit, love, joy, and peace, is hurry. It's this life marked by hurry all the time. And there's different forms of it. Like I use the examples from work in the office, but uh, I have a front row seat of the hurry of moms. It's constant. Like change the diaper while this one's doing this thing and then over here and then, right? And so all of us are experiencing this. And then lastly, why I thought this would be good is that once we can see this issue, I think we can have another tool to be on mission with Jesus in the world. And so uh, since reading this book, I've had so many conversations about this. Because, right, what, we've said this a million times. What's the next thing you ask or say to somebody when they say, how are you? I'm busy, right? Some of you, good. You say, I'm good. But a lot of us say, I'm busy, like it's a badge of honor. Because it is a badge of honor for us. Because to be still is equated with being lazy. And it's not the same thing. To be still is not necessarily to be lazy. It could be, but it's not the same thing. And so I've had so many of those conversations with people who, who we would say maybe are far from God to see that being in such a state of hurry and distraction is at the root of what they, the pain points that they feel uh, uh, is not what they really want. And then to be able to invite them to consider that there's a different way to live. There's a different way to be human. You don't have to be this way. We've talked about being a non-anxious presence in the world, that this is what you can be, a person of peace, love, and joy. Right? We, so for us, we, we can't live like the rest of the world in this frenetic pace and then expect to reach those people. What are we going to reach them with? Just churchified hurry? That's not what they need. They need rest. That's what Jesus invites them into. Peter, in his epistle, one of his epistles, said that we need to be always ready to give an account for the hope that's in us, right? But I wonder, and I know I'm taking liberties here, I wonder if Peter would have been alive today if he might have said something like, we should be ready to give an account for why we aren't a people marked by hurry. Why are we not always in a hurry? Why do we have time to stop and talk to somebody or just to make space in our life? And listen, I'm not saying work is bad. God created us to work. Work is good. Too much work is bad. Work is given to us by God from the creation. Ephesians 2 talks about he prepared good works for us to do beforehand. So work is from God. It existed before sin was in the world. It's a good thing. But too much work to the point where we're in a hurry and we're living a life marked by hurry is not good for us. Jesus had a lot of work that he did. But if you read the Gospels, he's never in a hurry. Right? He's got time for anybody that shows up. And this isn't about organization and productivity hacks, because I know that's our thing, right? And I, 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 have, I can open my bag and show you my project management calendar thing that I have, right? Those are good, but it's, it's something deeper than that. It's a life marked by a spirit of peace and love and joy, not by hurry. She agrees. Now, maybe you're not convinced this is as big of an issue as uh, I say it is. And, and to be fair, right, some of us are further along. Some of us have let go of some of that. 
Some of us in this room don't live as much of a hurried life as others of us. Uh, But let me just paint a bit of a picture and see if you can see what I'm saying, either for your own self-diagnosis or for the ability to minister to people around you who are dealing with this. So if you get home today, don't do it now because you'll be distracted. That's kind of the whole point of this, right? Um, When you get home today, if you Google the phrase hurry sickness, that's a phrase. You can Google it. Uh, You're going to find that this is a term being used by a lot of different people, psychologists today, to describe what many of us are experiencing. That there is a, a, a kind of a, a condition or a sickness that comes from this life of hurry. And again, I know that some of us who are truly not living at, at a breakneck pace, hurried life, right? But, but if that's you, again, still engage with this because there's people around you who are and who might need to, to hear this. You might be able to love them better and have more compassion if you see what's going on. Uh, There's a man named Meyer Friedman. He was a cardiologist in the 1950s, right? So that's further, that's closer in the future to the the next 50s than it was. So it's a long time ago, in the 1950s. He was the first to talk about hurry sickness. He he started to notice uh, that what we refer to as type A personalities, I don't hear that language as much anymore, uh, but that's a thing. Uh, if you're Gen Z in the room, that just means like you're, you're like really a, get, a go-getter, right? Type A personality people tended to be angrier and more prone to heart attacks. So you might get a lot done, but you're not going to make it all the way to the end. That, that was kind of what he began to notice. And then he connected this to the patients that he noticed were displaying what he said was a harrying sense of time urgency. In the 1950s, he's talking about this. Here's his definition for hurry sickness. A continuous struggle and an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. Now, I want you to stop and think about any advertisement for any kind of like device or anything basically on TV that they're trying to sell you. What is the selling point? You're going to get more done in less time. And that's, I don't know about your life, but that hasn't happened. By and large, that doesn't happen, right? I saw an ad on the other day for like an air fryer on TV. Like, right? You're going to be able to cook food so much faster, so you have all this extra time for family time. The problem is there's 18 other devices that are being sold to you that way. And what happens is you're slamming down stuff that you made as fast as possible so that you can go and do 18 more other things. So he said this in the 1950s, right? Long before the internet, which was going to solve all our problems. Long before books and books and books and stuff that's been written about multitasking and productivity, which are good things. Long before smartphones, like simplified everything in our life and made it all better. So remember, this, is not, this has been seen for a long time. Okay, so let me just give you the 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. Okay. 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. They're in this book. I'm just going to reference it from right from the book and read you a few of these. Number one, okay, and I just want to let you know, if you're like me, you're going to, you're going to feel a couple ouches in this list. All right, me, all 10 of them, pretty much. Number one, irritability, okay? You get mad, frustrated, or annoyed way too easily. Small little things bug you too much. Number two, hypersensitivity, All it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings, a grumpy email to set you off, or a small turn of events to throw you into an emotional funk and ruin your day. 
minor things quickly escalate to major emotional events, right? Number three, restlessness. When you, this is a big one. When you actually do try to slow down and rest, you can't relax. You give Sabbath a try and you hate it. You read scripture, but find it boring. You have quiet time with God, but you can't focus your mind. You go to bed early, but toss and turn with anxiety. Even on fallback day, you should have had an extra hour of sleep, but you spent an extra hour binging something, right? Number four, workaholism or just nonstop activity. doesn't have to be related to your job. You just don't know when to stop, or worse, you can't stop. Another hour, another day, another week. Your drugs of choice are accomplishment and accumulation. This is interesting. Number five, emotional numbness. You just don't have the capacity to feel somebody else's pain. Right? We talked about empathy a number of weeks back. This would be in that category. Number six, out-of-order priorities. You feel disconnected from your identity and calling. You're always getting sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. Your life is reactive, not proactive. Number seven, lack of care for your body. Ouch for me. You don't have time for the basics, eight hours of sleep a night, daily exercise, healthy food, minimal stimulants, margin, all those things. Number eight, escapist behavior. When we're too tired to do what's actually, what's actually life-giving for our souls, we can each turn to our own distraction of choice. Here's some examples. Overeating, overdrinking, binge-watching, browsing social media, surfing the web, name your preferred thing, whatever it is. Number nine, slippage of spiritual disciplines. Right? When you get over busy, the things that are truly life-giving for your soul are the first things that tend to go. It's a tough one. And then number 10, many of us experience a taste of this during COVID, isolation. We, we push other people away and we isolate ourselves. You feel disconnected from God, others, and your own soul. On those rare times when you actually stop and pray, you're so stressed and distracted that your mind can't settle down long enough to enjoy the Father's company. It's a tough one. So take a breath. This isn't about guilt or shame. Let that go. It's just somebody holding a mirror up and saying, this is, this is what's there. Are, are, these, are these what's going on in my life? And there, there were some other funny examples in the book. I want to encourage you again to read it. Like, do you choose which line in the grocery store to go to and check out by how many people are in the line? Yes. Yes. Ah, so that's a symptom of hurry sickness, right? What if, as followers of Jesus, we saw a long line as a place to be the presence of Jesus in that long line? It's an opportunity rather than something to be hurried through to get to the next thing. Because life with Jesus is about a life with, of presence. Okay? So let those guilt and shame feelings go. I had them too as I was writing this or reading, you know, kind of uh, synthesizing some of these ideas. Um, but the book points this out, that the point is just to come to terms with reality that this is, you know, if we were fish, this would be water. We, we wouldn't know this is what it is. This is just the air we breathe. A hurried life is a normal life for us. And that's not how God created us to be. This is why, apart from the get, getting sick part of COVID, this is why COVID was so hard for some of us. Some of it was, was lack of community, Right? But some of it was just that we don't know how to slow down. Like, I, I can remember those first few weeks of COVID being like what, like, what do I do? I felt like, if you remember back to high school or college when the semester ends and you wake up the next morning, like, I got to write a paper. Oh, no, I don't got to write a paper, right? It felt a little bit like that. Like, I'm, spo I'm supposed to be doing something, but there's nothing to do. 
And so it took me, uh, me, right? I'm a pastor. I, I like, this is what I do. It took me a while to be able to just sit quietly and just hear from God. And I had to kind of be forced to do it. Um, now, one study that's in this book pointed out that 39, just to show you how widespread this is, 39% of Americans reported an increase in anxiety year over year. So almost half of people are feeling more and more anxious every year. So again, we're on this road, we're going in a specific direction, and it's not leading us to a life of love, joy, and peace, but it's leading us to a life of hurry, more anxiety, and eventually burnout. And I, next week, I'm going to bring for you a little chart that you can track and see like, what symptoms of burnout are, and am I experiencing them? Some of us are like at a low-grade burnout all the time, and we don't even know it. And we're wondering, why does God feel so distant? And so if, if, if we'll be honest with ourselves, I think we'd have to admit that this life that we're living that's marked by overhurry, overactivity, is a life in which the things that we say we want cannot grow. Okay, so gardening metaphor. If we say we want a vibrant spiritual life, which is part of the like, mission statement of our church, right? We want to be a vibrant community of Jesus followers. And if we want that, if we want to be joy-filled, peace-filled people who are loving our neighbors and ourselves well, who are present to ourselves and the people around us, if we want to be a people who are known for being generous and full of the life that we see in Jesus' life, then hurry is an enemy for us. It's not a neutral thing that we can kind of just deal with. It's an enemy for our souls. We can't have both. We cannot have a life marked by hurry and expect to also have a life that was the life that was on offer. If you remember the long trek through the Gospel of John, what was the point of it? That you might believe, and in believing you would have life. Can't have that life and be in a hurry all the time or live a life marked by hurry. These are incompatible. Listen to this quote. This is from uh, uh, Wayne Mueller, or Muller. I don't know how you say it, but he has a book on the Sabbath, which we're going to touch on in a few weeks. He says this, a successful life, Okay, so read like what our world tells us is successful. Has become a violent enterprise. We make war on our own bodies, pushing them beyond their limits. War on our own children because we cannot find enough time to be with them when they're hurt and afraid and need our company. War on our own spirit because we're too preoccupied to listen to the quiet voices that seek to nourish and refresh us. War on our own communities because we are fearfully protecting what we have and do not feel safe enough to be kind and generous. We make war on the earth because we cannot take time to place our feet on the ground and allow it to feed us, to taste its blessings, and to give thanks. Pretty interesting quote. And so even more so than that, hurry itself Yes, it's an enemy, but, but hurry is not simply a neutral byproduct of the world, and it's itself not our enemy. And as Christians, right, we believe that we have a real enemy. In, in the scriptures, he's known as Satan or the Satan, if you want. Uh, and so he, um, Jesus believed in him as well and taught about him. So we have no reason as followers of Jesus to say that we don't have a real enemy. And it's, uh, a, you know, the book says this, and I agree, it's hard to look at all of this and say this is just happening in our world and there isn't some uh, insidious force enemy behind it. That this is a hurry, a life marked by hurry, is a tool in the hands of our enemy. 
He, he deals in lies. Jesus said he's the father of lies. His native language is lies. And the lie that he has gotten us to believe in this regard is that achieving more and more faster and faster, right? A life marked by hurry will somehow lead us to a life that we actually want. But we're actually living the life that we're working for right now. So if you feel yourself anxious, in a hurry, I'm always like moving to the next thing, you are operating and practicing in a way that is getting you those things. So then over the next couple of weeks, what we need to do is put some new practices in place and, and, and at least talk about the idea of those. See, our enemy Satan does not want to give us does not want us to give our most precious resource, which is actually full attention, presence. He doesn't want us to give that full attention to God and his presence with us because our enemy knows that if that happens, we begin to actually live and do the good works that God had for us beforehand. We actually become more and more like what God wants us to be and the power of sin becomes more and more diminished in our lives. And I've heard so many people, some of us in this room, some of you may be watching online over the last couple of years, uh, talk in one form or another like you feel that God is distant. I, I feel like God is far away from me, right? And we've all felt this before. Through the history of Christianity, you will read about what people might call the dark night of the soul or God feeling distant. This is a normal part of our existence. But, but I just want to gently ask you to consider, as we think about a life marked by hurry, uh, that, that we, in our lives marked by hurry, that we don't even see. Like the hurry that we just think is just normal. We don't even notice it. That we have become distant from God simply because our attention is in such a rush to the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing, and the next distraction that we cannot, uh, we simply cannot have any sense of God's awareness and his presence with us. See, God is present with you, but, but you may not be aware of it because you're going on to the next thing in your mind. Now, to end, I just want to give you one last idea, and then I want to hear from uh, some words from Jesus in light of all that we've talked about today. One of the temptations that I had when reading this book, all right, that I still have, again, this is a tactic of our enemy. Okay, that we talk about spiritual warfare in the church. This is it. This is some of what it is. One of the temptations that I have, uh, that I have and that I'm guessing some of you will relate to is to rationalize some form of being able to say, well, I mean, yeah, my life is kind of busy, but it's not like in that big of a hurry. Like I don't, I'm not actually running from thing to thing crazy. I don't deal with like real full scale anxiety that's like clinical anxiety. I don't deal with that. I'm not running around always that much in a hurry that I'm doing that to myself. And again, I want to leave space for the reality that that may be true for some of us, although I doubt it's true for any of us fully. But I also want to just invite you to think about this. Hurry, this, this life marked of, by hurry doesn't have to be full scale, crazy schedule, anxiety ridden burnout to be a real issue with us. It doesn't have to be full on all the way. It's a sliding scale. A, a life marked by hurry can be a lot more subtle. And I might even say insidious. That our enemy is not that simple to figure out. All it might mean is that we're just living the life everyone else around us is living with no critique, no vision for the reality that nothing in our lives is neutral. 
that you moving from thing to thing to thing at that breakneck of a pace is not a neutral reality. It is shaping you. You are becoming a kind of person who lives in that world. And so we're being shaped by everything. So when, we're, when we as followers of Jesus simply go through the same motions as everybody else in our Western hurried world that we currently live in, our lives are going to subtly fall in line with this and we're going to have nothing any different about us. We shouldn't expect to have anything different about us. And our enemy is winning the battle for our love, our joy, and our peace. Um, th- this is just one last quote here uh, from the book. Uh, in his book, A Guide to the Good Life, uh, 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 William Irvine called this reality misliving. And this is kind of the insidious part of this. Like We can all picture the person who's like way overbooked, anxious all the time, but many of us are just kind of slightly overbooked and we're becoming a person who is more and more that way. Listen to this. There is a danger to do what he calls mislive. There is a danger that you will mislive, that despite all your activity, despite all the pleasant diversions you might have enjoyed while alive, you will end up living a bad life. There is, in other words, a danger that when you are on your deathbed, you will look back and realize that you wasted your one chance at living. Instead of spending your life pursuing something genuinely valuable, you squandered it because you allowed yourself to be distracted by the various baubles life has to offer. Let me give you this example from my own life. I like to cook. Obviously, I like to eat, but I like to cook too, okay? And part of eating for me and cooking is the process of it all. And, I, and I, when I talk to people who are like, oh, yeah, man, I just throw everything in the microwave because that's the easiest. And I'm like, but you're missing out. Like on the joy of the process of the chemical reactions that happen, <laughs> of, the, of the process of actually cooking and gaining skills. And like life is lived in those moments. And you can't be in a hurry to do, you can't, you can't hurry a good meal. You just can't. Like McDonald's is, you know, it's good, but it's not what I would call a good meal. Okay? You, you have to slow down and live at a pace of life that allows you to take those moments in. Now, in our book, after this quote, the author quotes Jesus' famous words from Mark eight thirty six, And he says, Jesus said, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Right? And, and that's true, and that's compelling. But when I read this chapter, I remember having this very, like, it must have been Holy Spirit stuff because I had this very visceral picture in my mind. And I had it again uh, this week as I was preparing this. I could hear the voice of Jesus speaking the words we see recorded in Matthew 11. These are the words that Jesus speaks in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I just found out this week, you know, that's the only way Jesus himself ever describes himself. That he's gentle and lowly in heart. He says, and you will find rest for your souls. For my burden is easy My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So in this picture in my mind, I'm standing there. Jesus is saying these words over my life and I see myself doing this. Yeah, hang on, Jesus, hold on. What'd you say? (laughs) Right? And, And this is the life of hurried 
distraction that I find myself living. Jesus is speaking these words of life over me. Come to me. You'll find rest. And I'm like, hold on. I got a couple emails, Jesus. I got to, let me do these real quick and then I'll be with you. And so this, I think, is a picture of the subtlety of a life marked by hurry. And so I want to invite you to take some time this week. Invite, do a little creative Holy Spirit mind picturing, okay? Invite the Holy Spirit. Take some pause. Invite the Holy Spirit to give you what the word picture of your hurry is in your life. What does it look like for you to be in a hurry? Maybe Jesus is showing up at that lunch with your coworker that you're not present for because you're so distracted and in a hurry to get to the next thing. Well, whatever it is. And over the next two weeks, as we lead into Advent, that was part of the thinking for this series as well. We're leading into Advent, a season of waiting. And we lead into the busy season of Christmas, which I have some events to tell you about in just a few minutes. So don't think this means you don't do anything. It just means we're not marked by hurry. We're going to look at some practices over the next couple weeks from the life of Jesus that we that we see in this book uh, and obviously in the scriptures uh, that we can begin to implement, walk in, to begin to push away from a life marked by hurry and push into a life marked by attentiveness to God, presence to Jesus, presence with us, which then is a life marked by love, joy, and peace. And with that, we say amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the time to be in this room Thank you for the attention of this group of people for the last 30 minutes or so. And for those who are watching online, we thank you for them joining us as well. And I just pray that you would just leave us with just some nugget that you want us to take from this. Like, in what way am I living a life that is just marked by hurry that I don't need to live? Help us to to find the answer to the question, how, how can I slow down and be present with you, Jesus, and therefore be present with the people around me? As we sung earlier, give us eyes to see the people around us who we're always in too much of a hurry to see and notice. That you're calling them to yourself through us, maybe. And I just ask that over the next couple weeks, as we think about Sabbath and solitude and silence and slowing and simplicity, uh, that you would help us to embrace these things as part of life following our Rabbi Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.